This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 54 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. We welcome this episode Nick Newsham, best known from Gatsby's American Dream. He has a new project called The Money Pit with his buddy Bobby Darling. And we spoke recently about uh, Gatsby's musical life, Warp Tour, their labels over the years, and which one told them to have them put on eyeliner for a video. And my favorite topic of all time, Crabcore. So, if there are uh, any edits in this episode, if you hear them, it's me laughing. So, we had a blast uh, chatting, and um, I, please go check out his band, The Money Pit. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, a new song from The Money Pit called Control Everything here on the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Thank you for listening. Questions, comments, concerns, washedupemo.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Uh, it is a beautiful day, um, and I just want to ask about Seattle and you know growing up there and you guys starting out in 2001 um, doing Gatsby's American Dream. You know, did you feel isolated? Did you feel uh, that you sort of had to you know drive or connect, or did you already feel a scene there? Um, being on the East Coast, it's pretty easy to go to Philly, Connecticut. You know, you can sort of play a bunch of shows, but um, what was that like kind of starting off the band in Seattle? You know, a lot of national tours and uh, underground bands, they wouldn't come through Seattle. So we kind of had an isolated scene, but I think it made us, uh, as a collective Seattle, like musicians kind of have to kind of have to be better. We had to be really good. We were kind of playing for each other all the time. and, And then a band would get popular and they'd go out of town and, and it was kind of left to the rest of us to, I mean, we're really just all playing music for each other with uh, the lack of bands coming through. So it was, uh, I guess we were isolated, but it was always a positive. I, I kind of think that it let, it lended itself to better music coming out of Seattle. 
what things were happening when you guys were starting up? Were there, was there, did you feel that there was a scene? I know there was, but you know, were, was it the basement show stuff or was Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. It was, uh, there was an old movie theater that got converted, uh, into a venue. It's called the paradox and I used to see the blood brothers play there all the time. We'd actually, we started playing shows with them. Uh, botch was a big band that was playing. Those are kind of like, uh, if we were freshmen, then the Blood Brothers were juniors and botch, which turned out to turned into like minus the bear. Those would be like the seniors. So it was like <laughs> it was generational. So we had some good examples to look up to. That's great, and you know that time too. Uh, you know, I will I will date myself. The first phone I got was in two thousand. Uh, you know, two thousand one. <laughs> things were starting to really sort of happen, internet wise. And so did you start feeling yeah. that, that it was, it wasn't just flyering and it was sort of like, wow, we need to learn this whole thing and connect with people that were sort of outside. Did you start to feel when you guys were starting that it was not only local, but also you started to feel that other people were finding out about you because of being able to do things on the internet? Uh, <clears throat> no, not at the beginning. At the, at the beginning, I mean, I think... MySpace was just starting. Uh, I, I I remember like finding out about new bands on Napster, and that was the only that was the only way I was really the band, or I was really affected by by the internet at the time. Uh, I mean, we'd already been touring for a while, but before MySpace was even a thing. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it really wasn't. I mean, it's so easy in hindsight to be like, once the internet hit, but like, it was. It didn't resemble anything like it does now. It was yeah. in the early days. There, it wasn't. It really wasn't a factor. I mean, I remember message boards. I remember the Trustkill message board or the Victory, whatever it was. Those were where you sort of, oh, found out about a show. Yeah, and you know, by the time we had our, by the time like our third album came out, uh, we had a message board. But I mean. Two albums and an EP, uh, and I don't think the internet was even a thing for us at all. And then you yeah. know, touring at that time, what what do you, what do you kind of remember that uh, differencing differences now? I mean, obviously, I always think about the road trip. You know, now it's like everybody's got the cell phone neck and they're just looking down. And before it was maybe looking out the window or maybe connecting on a mixtape or something. What were some of the things you remember sort of those early days with you guys? Well, that's funny. It's funny you frame it that way because when I think of it, I think of Thomas guides to get around, no iPhones. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that, that was not fun. That totally sucked. And I remember, uh, I mean, you're booking everything. You're looking in your giant folder for the contact info, the venue you're going to next. And we booked everything ourselves at that time. And it was extremely difficult. Uh, yeah. I mean, I remember when the first iPod came out and I had the very first iPod and that was like a big deal in the van. But before that, it was like five dudes had their giant CD books that were like four by four, you know, just <laughs> weighed probably seven pounds. And, uh, sucking that gas out of the van and whoever was well whoever was driving got to pick what we listened to and our first drummer loved slipknot so that was kind of a problem <laughs> <laughs> oh that yeah. is that is not good so no so no. <laughs> well i guess i mean that that era for me um 
I kind of call it post Bleed American um, because that was a big moment for that scene. Do you remember hearing the word emo for the first time? Do you remember what 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 you thought it was? Did you kind of were you interested? Were you? Yeah. Well, well, it's kind of like it's just kind of been uh, it's been accepted in the vernacular now. I mean, now it, it is emo, but at the time there was a resistance to it because it never felt like it never felt like this. Uh, I don't know all the connotations that went along with it. The, the haircut it became like a typecast type of thing. When I and at the time I'm like, well, I don't really think that Alkaline Trio sounds like at the driving at all. But I guess this is all emo music or something. It was kind of like mm-hmm. I don't know. I never really bought it. But after a while, you just kind of go, okay, I guess this is emo music. That's how the rest of the world sees it. And then were you guys at that time? Were you? I mean, if it was, I mean, being on you know, fearless or, I mean, even the early labels, did you feel that, uh, I guess from that point on, I sensed that bands were sort of like, all right, we're going to sound like this and make it. And I think, were you guys seeing that? Were you feeling that there were these bands that, uh, I mean, you guys kind of did it organically early. So you sort of learned all those things. And I think maybe sometimes the bands that were coming later that were trying to break, I don't know. I just always joke that, you know, their parents bought them their, their stuff at guitar center and bottom of van and sent them on their way. I know that's really generalizing, but just sort yeah. of the kind of starting from, no. from like fast. <laughs> well, no, it's not even like that. It's like, uh, the parents weren't buying their gear for them. Victory records was like, it was like, there's a band that doesn't have anything. And we'd go, they'd like, we had built up our own following. And so we had these labels that would say, Oh, well, we'll book your tour for you. If you will take this band on tour, who doesn't have any experience, well, they're showing up in a brand new 15 passenger van. They've all got brand new gear. And we're like, shit, <laughs> I guess we got the draw. So we'll take you on tour. But uh, it, it was really weird to see it as a trend really come about because, I mean, growing up in Seattle, uh, there's great bands like Waxwing. There's great uh, mm-hmm. bands like um, Sunny Day Real Estate. Those were never, those weren't emo bands to us. They never were. It was a, it was a totally organic thing. And so to see this like, hot topic version of it kind of come to the forefront. Uh, it was disconcerting. I remember actually, uh, what song was it? I think it was on our self-titled album. I, I wrote a song that addressed these things. Um, just kind of thinking about, man, we're going to be kind of lumped in with the rest of these bands. And I don't really feel like that's fair, uh, but that's how history is going to remember it. And I'm, you know, in 10 years, I'm going to be on a washed up emo podcast and the next interview is going to be a top on hike or something <laughs> no that is not going to happen i'll tell you that um if you've uh, if anyone listening is now laughing uh no i have very strong opinions um about a certain era um and it's uh to my detriment or or power uh i just think it's it, it, you guys did sort of get lumped in but i think there were some bands that were able to sort of transcend and go back and forth and i think there was such a a moment for bands to like run away from it and then other bands were almost running toward it like there was a fire and it was emo <laughs> and there was two people yeah. you know and there're two sets of groups and i think i i i really you know kind of as you know if it's 2002 2003 i mean 2004 the oh uh, what what i remember is that you would make a myspace page just for the tour this is when i was at equal vision you'd make the thing just for the tour all the bands would be in the top eight or whatever like the four bands and then each one would change i mean all this work and then the tour ended 
and no one would go to that MySpace page anymore with the top, you know, the tour. And I just remember all this effort and and it just seemed like it was like, well, take my band out because of this. And then it just seemed like it, it was uh, everyone was just trying to run uh, toward this. And, of course, the majors were swirling and if it was labels getting bought up. I mean, what were your thoughts then? Was it like – were you just like, we're going to keep doing our thing? Obviously, you did, but I'm just thinking, what, what were some of those thoughts as you're seeing all this happen? Well, well, you know, coming from our perspective, booking our tours, not really knowing anybody in the industry, uh, uh, having to forge all those relationships ourselves, uh, you know, there's a little bit of – I think it's only natural that you see a band that has uh, been a band for a month and drive through records, just signs them and says, this is the next thing. And you throw enough money at something and people actually believe that it was the next thing. Yep. And then you have these other people who were, uh, uh, well, they'd have a MySpace page. And because I, we had some friends who were like this, they're a really crappy band and they're local guys, but they had like a million uh, MySpace people because the guy was a computer coder and he, he hacked it. Well, they got all sorts of attention. They ended up doing all these Japanese tours and stuff, and nobody knows who they are except for Kirkland, Washington, and Japan. So these guys <laughs> made a shitload of money. So there's... <laughs> that's awesome there's like so there's a lot of that there's a lot of that going on and then like but when it really came down to it you go on touring like who's legitimate who's not and i think it became apparent pretty quick to us but not to the fans i could think of two or three bands that we took on tour we're like oh i mean these guys are really nice but that's too bad they're not gonna they're not gonna last and then they went on to be the biggest band of the era and we're just like (laughs) what the hell so I don't know. I don't feel like uh, my picker is very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone wants to get big, uh, go on tour with Nick. Um, if you want to open up <laughs> and score the, you yeah. know, score, you'll be all set. Uh, I oh, guess the crappier the crappier I think your band is, the better chance you have of blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> were there? <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, were there other? Uh, uh, what were some of the bands that you sort of connected with? I, I mean, I, was it uh, were any ones that you were super into that you're still keep, keeping in touch with from those early tours? Matchbook Romance took us on tour because they liked our record, and that was like that was a huge deal for us. The biggest tour we'd ever been on, and then after that, uh, the Starting Line took us on tour, and it was like that tour was us and Copeland and Cartel on the Starting Line, and uh, solid tours, solid guys. Uh, awesome times i mean and those guys actually there's some really good music being made yeah definitely i thought there i mean i i always felt that these bands that were sort of coming out of nowhere and playing and it was sort of maybe one single or they was like such a huge push and then if they didn't have this i just yes maybe some bands made it but i feel like the the ones that stuck around kept going sort of had it and i think the starting line i think acceptance was another one matchbook they 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 seem to really make those deep connections and they are able to do a 10-year tour or uh you know continue to do stuff um were there any sure. were there any funny funny things that you saw from some of the kind of the i mean i call it the hair metal phase a little bit just because of how ridiculous it got were there anything like completely crazy that you're like i can't believe this is happening right now uh, you know, I think we saw some things on, on warp tour that might've been like that, but I, you know, I can honestly say that we, we missed that. Uh, we were lucky enough to kind of like 
not see that. I I remember oh, what's a band? A band that I kind of thought that was kind of that way was like Scary Kids Scaring Kids. Mm-hmm. Remember that band? Yes. From Arizona. Yeah, and that was like it was pretty antithetical to what we were doing. We were uh we were just like dudes in t shirts and jeans and then you know, I think they had some they had some hairdos going on and stuff, but uh we also would go down this is this is like early, we were booking our own shows and we go down to Arizona to play a show and they showed up five minutes before they went on stage and asked us if, if they could use all their all our gear. And I was like, Oh man, this is a whole different vibe. But it's like, damn, your hair looks fucking great. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Uh, I was like, man, your hair looks fucking great, but you could have bought your guitar to the show. Some shit like that. Is that on video? Is there any audio of that? Shit. Oh, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I remember uh I remember the I think it was a bamboozle or something and it, it, all the bands were like dressed up. Like I just thought it was like Halloween. Um and I yeah. get it it just it, what, like matching, you know, silver suits or whatever it was and I I just was like I can't tell if this is like a really shitty, you know, Halloween store party or like music. Um Oh man, but but I could think of a good example like like for every bad example there's always an exception. So yeah. I remember the Elkhorn zone and it was like early 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 my uh my chemical romance. Gerard way Gerard way is that a, yeah, he was a uh, he was fat, like he was very fat, and he was wearing a leather jacket. And these guys kind of all had this like look going on, and it was like, this is so weird, but it totally worked. I mean, that guy was he, okay. Drawway was super chubby. He was wearing a leather jacket, and then he had his own t band t shirt on, my Gummy Chromance t shirt. And my buddy and I, there's seriously probably twenty five to thirty people watching, and we looked at each other. And we're like, I don't know why, but this is like the coolest shit ever. I mean, it, it was it was neat. It, so it wasn't always done bad. It, I mean, it really comes down to if the music was cool and if they were authentic. That's how I kind of felt about it. Yeah, I think I, I think you I think you surmised it perfectly when, when I was trying to, um, and I and I couldn't. It really is. It's that authentic authenticity, and then if you're kind of doing it, and I feel like you know those guys early on definitely did it. I think they got lumped in, um, and I'm not a fan of the later stuff at all. I think it got completely like, you know, Guns and Roses sure. like. Uh, you know, straight up, you know, crazy long videos and millions of dollars thrown at it. I get it; it's a yeah. major, but you know, early on, you you definitely saw um, those inklings. Um, oh, that's scary! That that's scary. Yeah. Kids show uh, story is awesome. I want more of those. All right, what else happened? Come on, let's go. <laughs> oh, lead me, lead me somewhere. Put me into a put me into a spot where I go. Oh yeah, I love. I mean, how about how about I mean, Warp Tour? There's got to be more. Even if you were like on one date or something by accident, and you played the Ernie Ball stage. Oh, okay, okay. Warp. This was good. This was good. so Warp Tour. Uh, I'd never met Buddy from Senses Fail, and he kind of had a reputation as kind of being like a a partier and stuff. And I like to party a little bit myself. So we we're at the Gorge, and I'm hanging out with him. And we kind of we kind of clicked, and so we were, we're going around and and uh, we're drinking a little bit. And I, I see Fat Mike from No Effect. He's like, "Oh, dude, you changed my life!" Like that whole type of thing. And and I uh, probably made a fool of myself, and and then uh, and then I duck. We ducked under this like this fence, this barbed wire fence, and and it might have had it must have had a barb on it because when I came back, 
I didn't even realize this, but my shirt was split from the back all the way up to my neck, like open, like a hospital gown type of thing. And I had this giant scratch on my back and it was like bleeding. So, so everybody's like, Oh my God, what happened? And, you know, a, a bus full of like boost up band dudes who like want to have my back, you know, pun intended. And like, they're like, uh, and I was like, yeah, man, so, I don't know who did it. And cause I, I didn't even realize that I ducked in their fence and it happened. And they went out, they went out like a search party, like looking for somebody. And then I, then I realized like, Oh yeah, we ducked under that fence and I kind of didn't say anything. So I didn't, I kind of felt bad. So there's a kid that got his ass beat. Probably. Uh, no, I don't think they, hey, surprise, surprise. They couldn't find the guy. <laughs> Nick, we looked everywhere. We couldn't yeah. find him. Exactly. <laughs> We'll look later after the yep. barbecue. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. Uh, Warp tour. Well, you know, unfortunately, when we did when we did Warp tour, we did it in a van, so we didn't like all the fun stories and everybody hanging out and all these camaraderies you hear about. Those are the bands on buses. Those are not the bands in vans because we are not having a comfortable time. We are like driving through the nights and uh, and trying to find a shower until we can play or whatever. So like. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the funnest tour experience story. Yeah, Warp tour was rough. I remember talking to Prevent Falls, which is you know members of it turned into be Armor for Sleep, and uh, I just remember showing up to oh. a couple of their shows, and they like you know it was like a van, and they said the same thing. They're like, "Do you know where a shower is?" It's <laughs> <was> like uh... <laughs> exactly. I remember we played we played in we played in North uh, oh New Mexico Warp tour, and it was so hot and. I had a buddy who was working out there at the time and he was going to come see us. He's like, man, do you guys need anything? And we were just like, water, please bring water. <laughs> like, can we get five, five like gallon jugs of water? And he did. He brought us all water. And I was like, thinking back, I'm like, that was a concern. Like that was a, a legitimate, like we're all so thirsty. <laughs> I thought you had all the monster water, whatever that is full of like all the, yeah. Once they set once they set up, but when you've been parked in the parking lot since uh, five in the morning, <laughs> you know no one's out. There's no nowhere to go. <laughs> Just bring water, dude. We're gonna die. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. Five warp tour bands have died today at the you know before playing. There was no water. Oh man. God. <laughs> no kidding. We played. We gambled a lot. Uh, we, oh. we got we got into dice. We were we were playing a lot of CeeLo four five, six. And, uh, that's where everybody throws in a dollar or a $5 bill. And I mean, one person wins the pot. And so we'd get to points where we had like 20 people standing around, uh, you know, and it was like a $5 game. So that'd be, that'd be a big pot. And then people would branch off and then it got really, it got, it got degenerative. It, it, was, it was sad. We had to stop. What happened? Doing that. I just gambled way too much. Like, Oh, I got my $600 payout and then like we just start gambling and then our keyboard player got like, he got like six CeeLo's in a row. And I had, I went from $600 to nothing. Cause I was like, Oh, there's no way you could get another CeeLo. I was going to turn around. I just kept pushing, kept pushing, <laughs> lost everything. That was so sad. Kids listen, listen, <laughs> but, uh, gambling, gambling is tough unless you're doing blackjack. <laughs> That's the only one Do blackjack Well, or craps. So then we got, well, then we got to a certain situation where, I mean, so you figure you're only stopping at gas stations. So what if the gas station got? Well, they all have scratch tickets. So we went down a deep, dark scratch ticket hole. I, 
I, we were in the uh, Mass Pike, and I played a $10 scratch ticket, and I won $500. Wow. And that was the worst thing. That, that was just, the worst yeah, thing that could ever happen to our band. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so I think I actually ended up breaking even on that, but it did not do good things for the rest of the band. We, we became bad. I mean, we had to actually have a, like, hey, guys, we, we all got to stop doing this. <laughs> yeah anyways it's like not girls not like alcohol or drugs it's like guys we gotta stop this gambling (laughs) shit asap (laughs) it's true it's totally true i don't even have any strings for my guitar right now (laughs) (laughs) no kidding oh man i remember when we got sponsored by ernie ball that was like the best moment ever is uh you know it's kind of cool because you don't know anybody, you don't know anything, and then all of a sudden you get signed to Fearless and you're drinking beers in uh, the House of Blues in Hollywood, and then you're like, oh, this is this is Brian Ball. And I'm like, oh, awesome, dude, we need guitar strings. And he's like, no problem. And then the next day, you just get cases of guitar strings and our name's on the back of the of the strings. It's like, it, it's fun, it's cool stuff like that. We weren't making money, but like that was something cool. You could make, make it feel like you were accomplishing something. Yeah, I mean... I guess I would love to talk about sort of the, you know, the fearless era because, you know, 05, 06, I was at an indie label working. I'm sure that our bands, some of our EVR bands went on tour with uh, uh, fearless stuff. What was it like to kind of have that support from the label? I mean, if it was bad, tell me if it was bad. But I mean, was there, were there things that you were like, oh, wow, I think, you know, we're kind of getting some support if it was, if it was radio, if it was tour, if it was anything. Well, yeah, you know, they gave us tour support, and that's not something that we had really experienced before. Um, I don't know. We wrote like we wrote like an entire record about Fearless Records, and uh, I think time kind of changed your perspective on things. But uh, I don't know. I, well, when we signed with them, they they said like you're going to be on the whole Warp tour, and then we were only on like a month of it, and we we're like, ah, come on. So it was like. Uh, it was more notoriety. We got to do a music video, but it's a fucking eyeliner on me in the music video. Like we were just talking about those kind of bands. Really? And, like, they, I guess that the scene. Oh yeah. Well, we wanted it to look like Sin City. Remember that movie, the Bruce Willis? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we loved that movie. We wanted it to look like that, and then like it ended up being like we were trying to look like My Chemical Romance. It was black, red, and white, and they put freaking eyeliner on me and. They're like, oh, this is just how it is in Sin City. You'll understand after all the effects. And I watched the video and I'm like, no, no, I, I, I'm just a dude with eyeliner on. I should have painted my nails. And it's like, it was not kind of what we're about. It, it was odd. It was odd. I, I don't, I don't know. Kind of when you're on a label, there's, there's a lot of pros and cons. But just know that you're not really the one making. If you're not careful, like they'll make as many decisions for you as they can. What did you, I mean, I, I guess I totally, I'm, I'm a very black and white, so I might not have realized that that one of the, you know, the record was sort of about that. But yeah, there's those situations where you're thinking you're going to get something and you feel like you're doing all the right things. And I don't know, someone leaves or there's a different agenda or they need to push more and you start having these decisions put on you like eyeliner. Um, and maybe that's a metaphor for other things. And it's like, they're just trying to package it. You know, they're just trying to package. All right, well, they're going to push this out as this when you guys might've been different or not trying to do that. Cause some bands, yeah, are, you know, I, I kind of think that, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to, some bands would have been like, hell yeah, let's load it on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, and this isn't talking trash about any bands or anything, but I, I think their focus was completely different. Like at the same time, we we're on the label, Plain White Tees were on the label, and like they were trying to. They're doing some weird shit because they were trying to flip bands to majors. It was like it was almost like you'd flip a home, like you'd buy a home and you'd like remodel it, and then you'd try to sell it for higher. Well, they would. It seemed like that's what they're doing with their bands. Like they had a boy. Oh, it's not Boyce, it's Fire. It's like Boyd Rock Kills uh, Kid. There's some band like I that. I know what it's you're not... talking about. I know what you're talking about. Boy, is yeah, it... and it's like this band is on the label, but we never heard a record. And then they turned around, and these guys were always hanging out and around, but they weren't to- they weren't playing shows and they weren't touring. And then I think Bob from Fearless, I could be fucking this all up in the details, but he like turned around and sold this band to a major label and just made a mint off of it. And we're just like, this is so weird because we're just, we're tour dogs right now. And, and then you had playing like keys who they were playing Delilah when we were touring with them and they didn't even get signed to a major label till like two or three years later. And then that was their hit single. So we're kind of like, there's so many different ways to do this thing, but we're not, we're not doing it like any of them are. Are we doing it wrong? We're just playing shows and writing records. Did you feel like you, I had a couple bands that I was dealing with that were like, can we just not do those tours anymore? Because those were the only ones that were coming along. They were just like, can we play with like a band that maybe sounds like Wilco? Like they were just like, you know, it was uh it would seem to be, there was a certain group that were like, I just get me as far away as possible. But at that time it was hard. Yeah. Well, we didn't have the option. I mean, we were playing, we were playing over 300 shows a year we would get a month off to record a record and then be right back on the road. And I wish that we could have said no to some tours. Uh, I, I think the band would have lasted a lot longer. Uh, but by the time people really knew who we are, Volcano did well and our self-titled records coming out, we didn't even tour to support our self-titled record because we toured on three, three full albums and an EP and we'd never stopped. We'd never, we'd never taken a break. And, uh, I wish we could have said no to some tours. It wasn't even an option. It, it wasn't even like we had a choice. We never talked about it. Was it just because you guys had to make money? We need to keep going. We need to keep. I mean, you got. I mean, I noticed that when I was looking through the the, the, the uh, discography to kind of do just some throw some stuff in my brain, and I just realized that I'm like, oh shit, this is every year. 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006. Usually, there's a two or three year break. You got. I didn't. I did not realize that. No. We didn't think that there was any other options. It was the advice of our manager, our booking agent, just here. We were all really young. I mean, we were Dave Shapiro's very first band. We were Mike Kaminsky's very first band. Oh, I forgot uh, about that. If you know those. I do. I work yeah, with Dave at so EVR, were, and Mike's a good buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So you know these guys. I mean, these guys are now they're kind of big names that people know about, but at the time, uh, we, nobody really knew what we were doing. I think that if you were to ask either of them in hindsight, it'd be like, man, we probably should have told those guys to just like take a month to go home. Yeah. So, but they were making you know. money. Exactly. That's exactly, that's how, you know, who's going to say no to that check come in. Hey, we got and and bands are wanting to take us on tour and we're saying yes to everything. And, um, but it's pretty easy for things for relationships to devolve. I don't care who you're with when you're spending that much time together. Yeah, I mean, it's like the the. I mean, when you're playing Slipknot every every time, if everyone else in the van's not into it, it turns into a bad situation. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or it's awesome. I don't know which way. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, somewhere um, we've, in the middle. we've been, you know, obviously joking about that era and, you know, talking a lot about, you know, the negatives. Like, what were some of the, I mean, were there, were there amazing memories or amazing thoughts or, 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 or tours that you sort of were like, this is really fun as you look back? I mean, you kind of have perspective oh. now. That, 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 that's kind of what this is about, too. I want to kind of have you look back and be like, that was kind of fun. I know it was kind of shitty at one point, but were there anything that jumps out at you? Well, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I got like, 10 or 15 stories that were like, they were like super fun, but it's just the majority of the time you're sitting in a van. I mean, it's like, that's all you're, that's all you're doing. So it would make the fun thing super, super fun. Uh, probably the funnest tour, uh, the most fun. Well, we took Circus Survival on their first tour and that was really cool. Uh, cause that was like a band that was kind of trying to push the envelope and, and we loved hanging out with those. We just really clicked with those dudes. And, uh, where were we? I think we're like in North Carolina, uh, Ace's basement or somewhere out there. And, uh, and they would just like shut down the venue and they just let us play on stage. So it was like Gatsby's and Bear vs. Shark and Circus Survive just having a jam sesh for an hour and a half and drinking. Like that type of shit is priceless. You can't really, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget some of, some of those times. Um, when we were touring at the starting line, I mean, we got to play almost every house of blues across the country, which was really cool. We got to play in, uh, in the Cleveland, Ohio house of blues on Halloween with Matchbook Romance. And I got to wear a, dr- I wore a dress on stage. I went and dragging like the blood all over my face. And that was pretty fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like honestly, like you go to the South, you, uh, like you have like 10 year old kids call you a fucking faggot. And so yeah. that's kind of funny too. <laughs> Where was that? Uh, Where was that in the South? Lo- oh, yeah, Florida, Panhandle. Seriously, we're we're uh, filling up gas at a gas station, and this yellow school bus goes by, and there's this little chubby kid, two middle fingers. Fuck you, you fucking faggot! Wow, like, oh, wow, welcome to Florida. Wow. <laughs> I wonder what's going on with yeah. him right now. What do you think? No, not judging. Oh, what? he yeah. might be a college professor. No, you never probably- know. I'm pretty sure he's working for the Jeb Bush campaign. Or yeah, or he's already a senator. That's probably it. That's either one of those. Yeah, two. totally. <laughs> I love Florida. I've spent Perfect. a lot of time there. But guys, the Panhandle, just give that to another state. I don't know. Let let like let Alabama have it or Mississippi. Just let someone else have it. Uh, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> for sure. We I'm, were we were. Uh... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that I usually try to offend at least one part of the country each episode. And there we go. The panhandle. It's it. You're this episode's. Uh... Oh, God. If you're, li- if you're, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, whatever, the panhandle's fucking cool. It's like, I don't think you think that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to Panama City Beach? <laughs> oh god well you know we, we recorded our we recorded ribbon and sugar our second album in davie florida uh which is just outside of fort lauderdale and i remember being like hey can i you know the cool to jog around the neighborhood and and james paul wisner our producer at the time was like no nope <laughs> like okay cool like we can't leave the house We're great <laughs> so is it cool if i just do a lap no oh, okay i'll go back to playing in 64, my bad. You know, whatever. <laughs> so, oh, no, that's funny. We play, we were obsessed with Halo at the time. Uh, so, so, okay, so 
at James Paul Widner's house. He, so he's a producer. He did like he's done Dashboard Confessional, New Found Glory, done like a million records. He did uh, the sort of the Seems Forever albums. Um, he had this office in the back that had an adjoining door that went outside. So it was like a closet, but there was a door on the outside that went to the outside. So uh, I went to grab a broom or something. And there was like a three foot long iguana just chilling on the wall in the in that uh, in that closet, and so I kind of freaked. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, slam the door and get them, and and so I took the broom and I'm I don't know what to do. What do you do, you know? So I, I kind of went to nudge it, and it hissed at me, and it slapped its tail super loud, just about <laughs> shit myself. And so we didn't know what to <laughs> we didn't know what to do about it. And uh, and what you're supposed to do is is you close the door and then you open the door to the outside and you put a little fruit outside and it'll, it'll go get it. So uh, if you're ever in that situation, now you know. <laughs> is that what you did? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we did, yeah. <laughs> what, what fruit enticed the iguana? Oh, a little bit of watermelon, oh, oranges. That would have got me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that it slapped its tail like, fuck you, I'm in here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> man, huge, and I guess they they have a mean bite. So uh, we, we did okay, though. Made out. <laughs> you guys made out? I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. Um, you guys made yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh man, and then uh, your um, I guess definitely uh, talks of the reunion stuff and back and forth. And there's, I mean, were there how how. What were those thoughts? Was it just bringing up all those memories of earlier or was it trying to forge new memories or just not feeling that it was right? Um, so about five years ago, we wrote some songs together and tried to pull it together with all the guys. And uh, it just didn't really work out, you know, between people having kids and uh, just, you know, life kind of sends you in different directions sometimes. But we definitely gave it a shot and it kind of fizzled. So it kind of took the air out of the balloon. Uh, uh, so the wind out of our sails, so to speak. And so then we kind of just chilled for a while. And then Bobby started sending me music and, and we were like, well, we could call this Gatsby's and, but we didn't want to, we just wanted to do something completely new. And, uh, that's why we just made this record. The money pit is the name of the band. And we just put out a record came out like a month ago. Fantastic. And F- so- fantastic segue, Nick. Fantastic. It's perfect. No, I was about I was about to bring it up, so I was like, "Wow, you've got you've got this right on lock." No, I just think it. The, I feel like the that's those songs could have come out in two thousand one, and they could have came out today. And I think there's kind of a really rad thing about that. That's cool. I, that's a cool thing. Cool perspective. I, I guess I never thought about it, but uh, but yeah, maybe we're just like musically immature. No, we still no. think that it's 2010. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm just kidding. I, I wish it was 1997 all the time, but the, you know, the or 98. I just think the you got. I mean, the the way that it sounded, the way that it came out of the speakers, like I could. It just it just feels like it fits in with the scene. It fits in with you guys could play with any of these bands that are kind of happening now. If it's the if it's the bands that are on top shelf, or um, I just feel like it it just it just fits in place. And I don't know if that's just, I mean, if you guys were a crab core band, it would not sound like it wouldn't sound this way. Um, and I'm not saying you are, yeah. but just that, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it, it, it didn't, um, 
it didn't age. And I feel like you guys have aged where that sound that you guys were doing was your own. And so that's why it sounds new. Um, and I just want to think, so you guys had, Bobby came to you and said, I've got these songs. I want to, I, I think, uh, he, uh, he, he, so he emailed me a song and I wrote to it and, uh, and he liked what I wrote and then he kept sending me more songs and I just kept writing and he was super excited about it. I was like, cool. If you think it's cool, then I guess it's cool. So let's record them. And then, you know, Casey being my brother-in-law lives right up the street. And, uh, we were just like, let's make a, let's make a record. And man, it's, it's really fun playing music with him because, uh, I've been writing music to his, I've been writing lyrics and melodies to his progressions since God, it's crazy. Since like, you know, 2002, 2001. And, um, it's it was like riding a bike. I was like, oh my gosh, he, oh he went to that chord. Surprise, surprise! I know what to do with this, and yeah. so it was just kind of kind of fun. Yeah, like uh, getting to know each other. Well, really through email, I just send me an MP3. I'd throw it in the Garage Band, record something, and send it back. And then then we hit the studio. I, you know, I honestly think we were only in the studio together one or two days for the whole record, and that's kind of how we do things. It's like I just go do my thing and he goes, does his thing. We text about it. (laughs) That's great. I mean, that's something that you guys should do for as long as you can. If it, if something like that works, you you guys should keep doing it. Yeah. I think we're going to, Uh, there's no reason to stop. And, you know, we just did a, we just did some shows for the acceptance reunion tour on the West coast. We, we joined that. And then, uh, uh, I think, well, I don't know. Uh, people always get mad if you say things too early, but I think there's something happening in the spring uh, on the East Coast with acceptance. So we might be going along with them. That's not for sure, but I think it might happen. Cool. So that's kind of cool. So we're like, yeah, like we have regular jobs that we can take a four or five days and cruise out and play a bunch of shows. And then we got a bunch of local shows booked and we're just kind of going to see where it takes us and try to kind of put out as much music as we can. Instead of being so tour heavy, I think we're going to be like studio heavy and just like put out, put out, put out music. And I think that mentality, you've got this great relationship with Bobby, obviously, and you make, you're able to do this. It's, it's going to, it's going to come out in the music happy. It's going to come out in this way that you guys maybe aren't sitting there stressed and knowing that as soon as you finish the record, you got to go out on tour. It's almost like a, it's an escape versus the opposite. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I really, I feel like we had to stop doing the band. Well, me personally, because I didn't, I didn't even like music anymore. Music, my favorite thing in the whole world. Uh, like, it would be like, you know, I got a job at my favorite restaurant and then I went behind the scenes and saw that it was kind of gross or something. And then I, I hated it. And then, but so I had to like leave for a while and to even enjoy doing it. And now it's like, it's, it was, it'd been a while and, now it's just it's a blast like i think if you listen to the record you can hear that like we are having fun like music is fun to make and and i think it shows so uh yeah yeah Um, you know i'm really happy i think i think for for, i'm happy for you to be hearing that because there's a lot of guys that this is my favorite part of the show because it's like you've got this history and you've got people that remember you and you know um 
you've 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 had this history you've released music but then for you to keep making music and and being maybe going away for a minute and coming back and you're like i still want to do this and i think for fans that are listening are probably like smiling because they know that there's going to be more music and maybe it's two songs at a time or one song or maybe it's five or a whole record but you're just going to keep doing it and i think uh, there's obviously people that 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 care um and you guys are doing it for those right reasons and it's then probably the music itself like you said sounds happier cool man yeah i i think that's a good assessment of it uh i hope that people are smiling when they listen to this if you're not smiling force yourself to smile right now it's it's proven that that will make you happier just the act of smiling (laughs) (laughs) i just think of the crab core shitty videos and that's what always makes me smile Wait, when you saying crab core, are you talking about like the guys when they get their, they you separate your legs and you go real low with the guitar? Yeah, and then you swing it. Okay, okay, all right. I don't know. I'm out of touch. I don't, I, I don't know. Oh, crab core. That's what that is. Okay, I thought You've so. never heard of that term. This was like... Crab core. Yeah, this is classic. I'm going to mess up the dates, but this is probably 08, 07. And if I'm wrong, listeners, sorry. Uh, it's It's... It's around then. It was unbelievable. But like it's it. But it stem. It stems from that move. Yes, like the crab that, walk. Like that's right. That's basically what you want to get to with a song. You know, like with a like a like a hardcore song. You just want to get to the breakdown. That's what this is. They want to get to the point where yeah. they can get down and just start chugging away and swing their instruments. Yeah. Hell yeah. Is I, Pierce the Veil crabcore band? You know what? I don't think so. Here's the thing. I I love I love Vic and I worked a bunch of Pierce the Veil and even his other records before today. Um, uh, well, that's wa- when we knew him. We toured with Before Today. Do you want to know a funny story about Before Today? So this is really mm-hmm. embarrassing, and I just remembered this. And I know it's not my podcast. Well, it is, but it, you're on. I'm going to say it anyway. So I I went up to um, someone from. Um, uh, the guy from Bane, I'm forgetting his name, but he's the designer. And uh, I went up to him and he was like, I was like, um, oh, he's like, oh, what's going on? I'm like, oh, you know, there's this Before Today record. And I was like, I'm not really feeling the artwork at all. <laughs> he designed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shit. That's awesome. So I totally made myself an ass. Um, I didn't like the, I mean, I didn't, I honestly didn't like it. So I guess I was being honest, but I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I should have realized the audience. Um, but uh, yeah, I, just, I don't think they're. I think no, they're 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 too like punky. Um, I'm gonna have to remember some of the band names because thankfully I've forgotten all of them. They've left my brain. Um, but maybe I'll pull out. Maybe I'll pull out an alt press or something and scroll through and try to find one. Um, you don't. You don't have to do that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, oh, I was thinking of. Yeah. Oh, speaking speaking of really bad artwork. For some reason, when you said that. Uh, Panic at the Disco artwork popped in my head. How bad was that artwork to that first record? I don't even remember that one. Now I'm going to mess up my Google oh, search. Dude. <laughs> no, so, so here's, another, here's another little story. So we ended up meeting uh, Panic at the Disco's manager. Uh, we were at a bar in New York or something. And he's like, oh, Gats American Dream. I, I got this new band called Panic at the Disco. And all they're doing, all they're listening to in the studio is your album. We're like, oh, cool. That's cool. Good for them. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then they come out and they blew up into the biggest fucking band. And then uh, 
we were doing, we were experimenting with like much like kind of like circusy tones and like uh, vaudevillian type of stuff in, in our music on on volcano and stuff. And then uh, and then they took that and like really ran with it. And we were like, oh, it kind of put us in this weird position where we're like, oh, we can't really we can't really do that stuff anymore. That's like now that's like a panda like a disco thing. <laughs> it's wow. kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually looking at their record now. Um, yeah, that is a little ridiculous. I've forgotten what it looks like. I love that the, on Wikipedia, the genres, uh, pop punk, emo punk, electro punk, and then my favorite one, everybody, you'll never <laughs> guess, Baroque pop. I have never heard that in my entire okay. life. Oh. oh, man. Yeah, music categorizations are always pretty funny. Baroque yeah. pop. I think I'm going to call my next band that. That's what, I think I think that's what I'm going to do. Baroque pop. Bar- Baroque pop. Cool. I'm going to call my next band br- just broke pop. No money. <laughs> broke. Always time waste of money. And tonight I'll be back out. Hoping to finally feel something. But I won't. Just do Shut my window.